Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Today we're going to be talking about jargon. I like jargon. I mean, the word jargon, Peter, to me is is just weird. I don't know what it is saying it. Does it seem odd to you or is that just a normal word? <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> It is kind of a, a funny word. Yeah. Jargon, discombobulated, all those kind of words just kind of, it's, I don't know. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of jargon. I'm assuming we're talking about kind of the words that financial advisors use and planners use and, and the financial industry uses that we hear in the media, we hear you know on podcasts like yours, and, and it can get confusing, right? Absolutely. I find that uh, every industry, every every organization has its own jargon and it's just a kind of a quick way to if everyone's speaking the same language we're all on the same page we're all talking to each other but yeah. if you're talking to someone that doesn't speak that language you're not necessarily communicating well and and from my side of the uh, the table there peter if i'm sitting across from somebody and they're using jargon uh, or they're using terminology that is normal everyday vocabulary for them I may feel a little foolish. And, and this is my own pride. My wife will tell you that I'm a little, a little prideful sometimes, but it might be my pride getting in the way of me saying, okay, Peter, hang on just a second. You just said such and such. What does that mean? I may not want to put myself out there as I didn't understand something. And so I think it's great that you're bringing this to the front page or, you know, we're kind of taking a step back from the other podcasts you've been doing to really kind of dive into these phrases and words that, that your industry uses so that people feel more comfortable approaching you about it. Yeah, but let me just uh, speak to, to one thing you said, Sure, Eric. It, to me, as, as the advisor planner, it's our responsibility to communicate in a way that our clients can understand. True, oh, no, good point. When we're talking jargon or our language, then that puts up walls, just like you've experienced. And that's not right, that's not helpful. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Thank you so much for doing this. So what are we covering today? What are we going to talk about? I'm going to be um, talking about definitions or, or uh, really concepts mm -hmm. that are very important from a investment portfolio perspective. I'm hoping we can focus on the concepts, not the math or how these things are, are determined, but just how these concepts can be understood by the end investor and how they can be helpful to help to for them to understand how and why their portfolios are constructed in certain ways. Gotcha. So so I thought I'd put together just a a, a short list, and by no means is this is a, is a complete list of jargon that someone could dive into, but this is just a short list, and we'll start off with um, uh, defining what an asset class is. Uh, we'll move into uh, a term that, that maybe people studied in, in high school or college uh, in their calculus class called standard deviation. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about beta, alpha, correlation, and ultimately we'll get to diversification, which is really where we want to get to for real good reasons. And then efficient frontier is another term that uh, people in our industry utilize. Mm -hmm. And finally, 
we'll talk about Monte Carlo simulations. And uh, I'm hopeful that for each of these items that we'll discuss, I'll, I'll be able to clarify why this is important to the investor, to, the, to, to you, uh, the listener, why these areas, these concepts are important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I like the fact that the first one you brought up is asset classes, because I think there's a lot of confusion around what an asset class is or the different types that are out there. So I'm, I'm excited to start with that one. Yeah, I think this is so important and, and really a, a point of, of uh, confusion for a lot of people. So uh, when planners, ad advisors talk about asset class, we're, we're talking about putting different kinds of securities, stocks and bonds into categories. So what, what I mean by category is we're putting securities into a, a certain box. And this box is going to include securities that, that have similar attributes, okay. uh, certain kind of returns or kind of risk. As an example, you could have a broad category of just stocks, mm -hmm. stocks around the globe. Uh, but then you can, can break that down into much smaller categories, large company stocks, small company stocks, U.S. stocks, non-U.S. stocks, stocks from the emerging markets like China and Russia and Malaysia. There are different categories that we can develop that can be very, very specific to the kind of attributes that we're looking for in that security. Mm -hmm. Another broad category would be bonds or debt instruments. And these can be U.S. government bonds, investment-grade corporate bonds, or what we call high yield corporate bonds, global bonds, mortgages. Uh, there's lots of different subcategories to bonds. Mm. So those are two broad categories, stocks and bonds. We break those down into, into smaller categories or smaller asset classes. And then we can get, break it down in even further, looking at different kinds of investments that people don't ordinarily think about, like commodities. Commodities might be gold and silver and wheat oranges, timber, oil, you can invest in all these things. Yeah. And they have a different kind of attribute than your traditional stocks and bonds. I'll be honest. I learned about commodities from the movie Trading Places. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. They were, I think they were you know, trying to corner the orange market or something. I thought it was, it was quite a lesson for me in, in how, the, uh, how devious Wall Street can be with you know, insider trading orange, you know, orange futures or whatever they're talking about. But yeah, I had no idea until that point that, because uh, I had heard of stocks and bonds, but I was much younger. And then uh, you can really just buy oranges. So yeah, there you go. Well, you, you, you can actually buy, you can buy contracts for oranges yeah. and contracts for oil. Yeah. And that's what people are trading. Gotcha. Um, and so it's really fascinating. Matter of fact, those kinds of asset classes, commodities in general, are are the most prevalent traded um, asset classes and securities in, in, in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, we look at uh, alternative investments like hedge funds or real estate investment trusts. So these asset classes are really important to define you know, what they are. And some of our clients, for example, really don't want to buy commodities. They don't feel comfortable with it. They don't understand it and they don't want it. Well, that's good to know. So that's one reason why we kind of, we look at these categories and asset classes and define them. You know, what does the client feel comfortable investing in, for example? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, why is this so important to the investor? Well, in my opinion, the asset classes that you've decided to invest in are really your most important decision. 
there was a, a famous study done by two academics, a fellow named Gary Brinson and another fellow, Gilbert Bebauer. Uh, this study was entitled Determinants of Portfolio Performance. It was done in uh, 1986 and updated in 91, and it's it's actually been done many times since by different uh, organizations and, and academics. And basically, this study says that asset allocation, your decision about which asset classes will be invested in, in your portfolio, determines 94% of the variation in your portfolio returns. Hmm. So your decisions about which asset classes are really the most important decision you can make from an investment perspective. The individual asset selection, like which stocks and which bonds, and the market timing, those accounted for only 6% of the overall variance of returns. Wow. If over 90% of your portfolio returns are based upon the asset classes that you own, Shouldn't that be the primary focus of discussion and, and thinking relative uh, yeah. to your investments? Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's going to drive what your future plans are. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So when we're working with our clients, we spend a lot of time really understanding their asset class strategy that's most appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. All right. So the next area that we're going to look at is um, or define is something called standard deviation. All right. <laughs> and uh, here we get a, a pretty technical, but but I'm hopeful that we can really think about more of the concept. So we got deviation is the important word here. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about standard deviation, we're talking about a calculation. And it's really got two parts to it. One is the expected return of a portfolio over time. Another way to look at it is what's the average return of this stock or security or portfolio over a long period of time? What's the average? Got it. All right. And then the second part of this discussion is what's the deviation? What's the range of deviation that we can expect from the average? All right. So we've got an average return that we expect to receive over time on this security or the portfolio. But we know that we're not gonna get that return each and every year. We know that the returns are gonna vary both up and down. It's just, that's the nature of the beast when you're investing in, in stocks and bonds. And so what we're trying to do is determine this range. How often are we going to have returns that fall within a predetermined range? So what investors do is they, they you, one can graph historical returns of an asset class, say large company stocks. We can look back over a long period of time and we can see this huge dispersion of returns. We could be up 20% uh, one year. We could be down 15% another year. We could be up 30% one year and down 5%, mm -hmm. up 8 down 3 I mean, there's just a huge dispersion, and we don't know every year how that's going to play out, but we know that there's an average. When we're talking about standard deviation, we're really talking about volatility. Okay, yep. The standard deviation tells us, and this is technical, is that 68% of the time, a specific asset class will range in returns from X to Y. It tells us the range that we can expect most of the time. 
And just as an example, if we have an expected average return of 10% with a standard deviation of 15%, that means 68% of the time, the actual performance is going to range between negative 5% and positive 25%. Hmm. The average return is 10%. That's our expected return. We subtract 15 from 10. That's how we get to the negative, negative five. five. Yep. And we add 15 to 10, and that's how we get to positive 25. Hmm. All right. Well, it sounds a bit complicated. I'll be honest. Uh, I mean, I'm glad you're doing the math and, and everything. How does this really affect what you do with your clients? Yeah. So the important thing here is to understand that there's a deviation returns. I mean, we, we know there's going to be a range and, and what our clients want to know is what can they expect from this portfolio over time? Mm -hmm. We'd all love positive returns year in and year out, but we just can't get it. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and if anyone promises that, uh, run away because yeah. it's just not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Understanding standard deviation or understanding volatility helps you frame your expectations. If in one year we have negative 10% returns, well, that may be normal, not what we want, but it's something that when you're investing in, in a specific kind of portfolio, it's something you should expect mm -hmm. if that's what's happened in the past. Got it. Yep. So that's standard deviation. All right. Eric, have you, are you have you ever heard of um, beta? The fish, yes. Uh, not uh, I don't think I've ever heard of beta or alpha, really, because I know that you said those two earlier when you're going through this list. I don't think I've ever heard of that from a financial standpoint, Peter. I'm hopeful that most of our listeners haven't really heard about beta because it's it's not necessarily an important area of, of concern for them, but I think it's an important concept. Okay. What beta tells us is, is how the stock or the portfolio reacts relative to a comparable index. Oh, okay. Just as an example, if a stock has a beta of one, that means its price activity or volatility is very similar to the index that it's being compared to. If the beta is less than one, that means the stock volatility is less than the market as a whole. And if beta is greater than one, the volatility of the stock is greater than the market. Okay. So just as an example, if you've got a large company stock, that would might be comparable to an index called the S&P 500 stock index, which is a, a benchmark of large company stock. And um, if the beta of that stock is one, that means that stock is going to react in a very similar way to the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. Okay. If beta is less than one, that means the, the volatility is less than the market as a whole. So it's just it's a, it's a way to, to gauge this stock or this portfolio relative to an index or a proxy. Peter, this is, I mean, you, you explained it very well. I still don't exactly understand how it all works or what that means. But more importantly, why is this important to me? You said a moment ago, you don't necessarily want every person in the audience having heard beta before or, or, you know, alpha when you touch on this, but it's important to understand it. So why is it important to me to know how this works with the greater than one and less than one and, and how that all pans out? Yeah. I mean, I think the important thing here is that an investment manager is putting together a basket of stocks for an investor. Mm -hmm. 
the beta of that stock tells the investor how much risk the stock will add or potentially subtract from a diversified portfolio. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense. So it's just it's just one more tool to help us maybe reduce volatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with beta, it just it doesn't really tell us whether the stock's going to go up or down. So you could have a stock with a a very low beta. That just means that, that the stock is less volatile than the market, but it doesn't tell you whether that stock price is going to go up or not. Mm-hmm. It just means it's less volatile. Got it. And vice versa. The beta could be greater than one, and it doesn't tell us that the stock is going to go up <laughs> yeah. in price. It's just one of the definitions that investment managers are looking at, or one of the factors that investment managers are looking at to determine whether if that stock or that security or that fund should be in, invested in the portfolio. And, and I'm assuming you're basing that off of really what somebody's risk tolerance is. So when you say something's less volatile, for those that are looking for less risk and they're, they're, they want to be more conservative, that's going to be something that they're going to want to hear. Yeah, yeah. right. Perfect. So the corollary to, to beta is alpha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So while beta is a measurement of relative risk, alpha is a measurement of relative performance compared to that benchmark. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so let's say you're invested in a large company stock and it's comparable benchmark is the S&P 500. If it outperforms the S&P 500 by, let's say 1%, then it's alpha is one. If it underperformed the S&P 500, it's alpha is negative one. Okay. So again, this is, these are all relative indices or, or factors. They're not absolute. So I I think alpha is really important in relationship to beta or risk. So again, performance is important relative to risk and alpha is important relative to beta. Mm -hmm. What we all really want is a portfolio that's got its low beta, meaning low volatility and high alpha. Yeah, I can understand (laughs) that. That's what we want. Unfortunately, (laughs) it doesn't always happen at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Huh. But I think it's important just to define what beta and alpha are, not that you would ask uh, what the beta or alpha <laughs> is in a specific portfolio, but it just helps you understand how these are all put together. Yeah, I'm not walking into a, you know a, an advisor's office, so tell me all about the beta and alpha and in, in, in your portfolios you build. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not going to happen. How's your beta? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another factor is a correlation. Okay, and correlation. This to me is very important. Mm-hmm. Correlation is a statistic that measures the degree in which two securities move in relation to each other. So right. correlation is it's measured by a factor that falls between negative one and positive one. And a positive correlation means that, that one security is going to move in a similar direction over time to another security. They're positively correlated. They kind of move together up and down, up and down. A negative correlation means that they move in more of an opposite direction. So while one security goes up, the other one might go down. Got it. Okay. Uh, A zero correlation means there's no relationship at all. There's just no real, they both go, they might both go up, they might both go down, 
there's just no relationship there. So it's more random is what you're saying. It's, it's completely random, right. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. So when you're talking correlation, are you talking the securities that move up and down together in a similar fashion? Uh, would you say those are more like industry specific? Because when an industry is doing well, that you know, a lot of times the stocks in a certain industry will all go up together, kind of like a large wave, and they all move down together with some variance depending on what companies are doing. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? That's exactly what we're talking about. And that's a good example of two stocks that might be highly correlated because they're in the same industry. If technology is not doing well across the country, chances are those two stocks are not going to do that well. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now, just as a, an example, stocks typically have a more of a negative correlation to bonds. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but oftentimes when stocks go up, bonds don't go up or, or might go down. Hmm. And when stocks go down, bonds tend to go up or stay about the same. Gotcha. All right. Okay. So... Why is this important? Well, it's a tool that really helps you understand how different securities affect your overall portfolio. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to the next item, which is, to me, the most important piece of this is it's diversification. Yeah. Yep. And we've talked about diversification before on this podcast, for sure. Yeah. Let's bring all these other things that we've just discussed, you know, asset, asset classes, standard deviation, alpha, beta, correlation and bring it together and it tells us kind of why we're diversified like we do. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been told that the diversification is really the only free lunch available to investors. It means we're not relying on any one asset class or any one security to produce performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're buying lots and lots of different kinds of asset classes. Yeah. And I, I think about a, a chef preparing a meal. Uh, she's, she, she gets great ingredients. She's looking for a specific taste or dining experience for her guests. She knows how to put together these ingredients. Yeah. She knows what to expect and is probably going to achieve that, that intended result because she's done it before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This chef or the investment manager is going to use the tools that we've just discussed and frankly, a lot more. Yeah to put together a portfolio. They're gonna look at standard deviation, beta, alpha, correlations, and put together a, a variety of asset classes. Mm -hmm. And by putting together this right mix, over time, over a market cycle, there's a higher probability of success of that this portfolio is gonna achieve what the, the investor wants, just like uh, there's a high probability that this chef who's done prepared meals for a long time and is very good at what they do is going to provide the dining experience that, that her guests want. Mm -hmm. Now, diversification doesn't always work perfectly. My experience is, is especially during really, really tough markets, like the financial crisis that we experienced in, in 2007 through 2009. That's just one example. Yeah, It was really hard to insulate yourself from, from bad returns frankly, since most asset classes went down. Yeah. Nevertheless, despite that, it really is helpful over a longer per period of time to diversify. You take on um, significantly less risk by doing so. And we think you can achieve over time, again, uh, higher returns than, than you might ordinarily be able to. Yeah. And I love the analogy that the picture that you painted, because all the different ingredients coming together to make something amazing. We can see it 
time and time again. And, and anybody who's, you know, tasted cinnamon by itself can say, no, it's, it's terrible. You know, you don't want to do that. But when you have cinnamon incorporated in with four, five, six, ten other ingredients, it makes something pretty amazing. You know, and so right. that's, I love that as an analogy. That was, that was a great picture you painted. Yeah, and, and to, to diversification also then leads us to the, to the next item, which is the efficient frontier. I've never heard and of that before. Efficient frontier. It's it's almost you're thinking of um, of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but the investment, the efficient frontier is really just a a graph, and here the investment manager is going to look at past performance and volatility of all the different securities and asset classes that they're putting into this portfolio. And when a portfolio is efficiently structured, that means you're, you're most efficiently putting together these assets and you're getting the returns you want with the, the amount of risk you want. Mm -hmm. And that's the important thing. It's not, and it's not that this will happen each and every time period. You're not always going to get the returns yeah. with the volatility that you expect. But more often than not, by doing this correctly, by doing this within the, this efficient frontier, you're going to get closer to your objective. That's the key, is increase your probability of success. And we do that by putting together portfolios that are very, very efficient. All right. Great. Monte Carlo is a, a tool that financial planners use to determine the probability of success for a client's financial plan over a long, long period of time. Got it. Monte Carlo simulation is what we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Got it. All right. When we talk about Monte Carlo simulations, we want to make sure the audience understands something very specific. No assurance can be given that the assumptions will prove to be correct. And the difference between assumptions and actual results could vary materially. Investments offering the potential for fluctuating rates of return involve a higher degree of risk than fixed investments. Rates of return will vary over time particularly for long-term investments, depending on your goals, time frame, and risk tolerance. Your actual results may vary. Past performance cannot guarantee future returns. All right, Peter, thank you for letting me interrupt there. Continue, please. When we're developing a financial plan, here we are, we're getting a little bit away from actual portfolio construction. We've already built the, the portfolio for our clients, and we're now determining the likelihood of success for that client over the next 20, 30, and 40 years. How likely is this portfolio going to help the client meet all of their financial objectives? Hmm. All right. In our typical plan, the way we do it, and every planner does it a little bit differently, we'll make a lot of assumptions to, to planning the income, the expenses, the inflation, the investment returns for our clients. We, we make these assumptions. When we're utilizing the Monte Carlo simulation, we're taking into account a variability of, of investment returns on a regular basis, on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. Because we, we know that the portfolio that we've constructed for the client is not going to achieve an average return each and every year. As I said before, it's going to sometimes be very positive and some years it's going to be negative. Yeah. And we just don't know the order of those things, but we know it's going to happen. We can look back at history and we can say, okay, hi historically, this portfolio has a standard deviation that we can expect of X. Mm -hmm. Then we do uh, a thousand different simulations of the, of the financial plan. Wow. 
Yeah, it's it's, it's really um, thank goodness for computers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a lot of pencils. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so what our computer program does, it, it takes into account the variability of these returns and changes the order of them over a client's lifetime. Mm -hmm. So the first simulation would include a investment performance that uh, might be typical. Let's just give you an example. It might be 5% in year one, 10% in year two, negative 3% in year in year three, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, positive 12%, negative 10%, negative 5%, positive 6%. And we just, we play that out uh, until the, the client's uh, maturity, you know, mm -hmm. let's say age 95 or age 100. That's simulation one. Simulation two is uh, the same financial planning assumptions, except we have a different order of returns. Gotcha. Okay. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad, uh, but all, all normal, all within the range of normality mm -hmm. for, for that kind of portfolio. We do it another time, a fourth time, a fifth time. We do it a thousand different simulations. And we, we try to determine what percentage of those simulations is the portfolio meeting the client's objectives, meaning getting the client to age 100 or 95, whatever period of time we're, we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And the way I, I interpret that is if 90% of the simulations are positive, that means that 90% of the time, the client doesn't necessarily need to make any major um, adjustments to their financial plan. Yeah. If it's 95% or even 100%, uh, that gives us even greater confidence Absolutely. that all is good. Yeah. It's not a guarantee. That's really important to understand. Mm -hmm. But but it's taking into account these other, these things that we've talked about before, standard deviation, beta, alpha, correlations, building the, the right portfolio, and then using a tool, in this case, Monte Carlo, to help us understand how the portfolio will will meet the client's objectives. How likely is it going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Peter, I I mean, we're we're running low on time today. This was time well spent. I want to thank you because you break things down in a way that's very, very easy to understand. And I and I love learning this stuff because it just it, again, it opens my eyes to how complex your job is. And I'm, I'm just going to say it as good of a job as you did explaining all these different pieces. It was like drinking from a fire hose today. So hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you for a favor for all the listeners out there. Can you put together, I'm going to call it a cheat sheet. Can you put together a cheat sheet or a list of what you cover today written out? Like just the definitions of these different things that we talked about, uh, because I'm not going to remember everything. And if you can put that list together and maybe offer it on your website, I think that that would be incredibly beneficial to me for sure. Uh, and then I'm sure to every listener out there that wants to learn a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. We'll, we'll do that. All right. I appreciate it. And that, that way, if you're listening to this and you are working with an advisor uh, who isn't Peter and maybe doesn't take that time to explain everything to you, this is going to give you a heads up. This is going to give you clear definitions of what you need to know so that you can go in well-equipped uh, when you do talk to your advisor, if they bring up any of the jargon, right, that, that uh, a lot of advisors use. Uh, and if you have further questions about the definitions or the sub-definitions, if you will, I know that, Peter, you talked about stocks, and then there's different types of stocks and large and small and growth, and uh, there's tons to learn. If you're listening to this and saying, you know, I, I do have other questions, and I'd, I'd actually rather talk to Peter because 
He does break it down very simply and easily for me, and he takes the time to do that. I'd love for you to give him a call. Peter, what number can they reach you at? Uh, absolutely. Uh, 617-728-7433. My email is peter.raskin at lfg.com. All right. And we'll make sure that there is a link to the the cheat sheet or, or, or uh, white paper or whatever we want to call that thing in the show summary notes. So if you're listening on your iPhone or your Android or whatever it is, when you look at the summary for the podcast, there'll be some links in there that you can go right to his website. Uh, you can go right to the, the paper that he's created for this and uh, you'll be able to download it there. So again, Peter, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Eric. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.